0: Welcome to Dangerously Likely, I'm Caleb Smith, I'm Torrence Witherspoon,
1: and I'm Terrell Couch,
0: and today we're Dangerously Likely to talk about the State of the Union.
1: Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines.
0: So as a side effect of the Russian-Ukraine war, the European Union has decided to cut its reliance on Russian gas by about 80% this year alone. Uh, This comes after Germany halted the Russian Nord Stream Pipeline 2, the gas pipeline that was supposed to supply Germany and the EU with as much as 38% of their fuel needs. This comes just before the US and UK announced bans on Russian oil. Since Europe depends on Russian fossil fuels for its fuel needs, This crisis in Ukraine has prompted European leaders to change their policies and fast. The fact of the matter is that Europe's coal consumption will rise in the short term, but it is predicted that this will speed up Europe's implementation of renewable energy across the continent. Analysts are already predicting that there will be, quote, warp speed deployment of green energy this decade, unquote, as a result of this crisis. I highly encourage you all to read this. This is just an absolutely fascinating article, and it's way longer than I have given it time for um, from Bloomberg News. Uh, The link to this story and all the stories you hear today um, can be found in our episode description.
2: On Tuesday, the Florida state legislature officially passed the Republican-led Don't Say Gay bill in a 22 to 17 vote in the state Senate after having passed it by a 69 to 47 vote in the state House two weeks earlier, largely along party lines, as we previously reported. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has been vocal of his support for the bill and is expected to sign it into law. The bill bans public school districts from teaching sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade, something that by the state's own admission would not require a curriculum change because those topics are already not a part of the first to third grade curriculum. Additionally, it states that sexual orientation or gender identity may not be taught in grades beyond third grade, quote, in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. Vague language that critics say would allow for this ban to extend to upper grades. The bill also opens up public school teachers and their school to litigation from parents as the law allows parents to sue the school district if they feel that their student has been taught something, quote, inappropriate about sexual orientation or gender identity. At a Senate hearing for the bill on February 8th, the example of a math problem stating, quote, Sally has two moms or Johnny has two dads, end quote, And Republican State Senator Dennis Baxley, who sponsors the bill, said that this is, quote, exactly what the bill aims to prevent. In another example from Kara Gross, the legislative director and senior policy counsel for the Florida American Civil Liberties Union, or more commonly known as ACLU, she posed the scenario of imagining elementary students are asked to draw a picture of their family for class. What happens if a child being raised by a same-sex couple draws a picture of their two dads? Their teacher may face a decision between allowing that child to participate or opening themselves in their school up to possible lawsuits. Gross argues that the bill could have a chilling effect on teachers, freedoms of speech and first amendment rights. I know we discussed this a bit on the pod previously, but now that it's passed and we are seeing the final language of the bill, what are your thoughts on this? And it's possible. Well, not possible. It's certain. Probably most likely. Yeah. yeah. Um, that kid
1: gets expelled by the way. If, but, but. if that kid has um, same sex parents, he just, they get kicked out of school. That's what happens. That's the, the inevitable app option.
2: Well, I do, I do love your, your effort of like, being sarcastic and offering levity to the situation. Um, no, that was
1: serious. That is more than likely what will happen because if you're in a situation where you can't even refer to your family because you can't say these words or you can't speak about them in a general way without a school being concerned um, about litigation or what could potentially happen – That child loses out on education because they can no longer talk about or write an essay in regards to their family. This child now loses the opportunity to speak about the levity of the impact that they've had because who who knows what the full story is? You're silencing this child, this individual, um, especially from a party that always wants to tout the First Amendment and how Twitter and all these places are just so wrong for doing it. That's the inevitable impact. That child would not be able to complete assignments. You can't do a show and tell. You can't do a bring a parent to uh, parent to class day. Uh, clearly, I'm getting older. I don't even remember what it's called anymore. Because this bill inherently is written in such an antiquated way um, that it doesn't actually understand the harm that it's going to do in, a longe- in the longevity. I don't think they care. Oh, they're just stupid. Like, I, like it's not that they don't care; they're just too dumb to understand what it actually says. The bill was written
0: vaguely on purpose for exactly that.
2: Yeah, I was like, I don't think that's attributing enough credit. Like, I don't think it's that they don't know the impact. I think they think I think they very well do know the impact, and it's intentional that they're doing this. And if if nothing else, that well, I I don't.
1: I would argue the whole party doesn't. In their mind, what they're doing right now is playing up this whole parents deserve a right in their child's education piece. And they're playing up this idea that we are forcing our children to get too old too fast. This is another ramification of the stupid Pizzagate conspiracy that bred life to an entire party believing that the Democrats were nothing more than child molesters and sex traffickers. Like, this is all a ramification of that you can point to the context. And that's why I can say, No, don't give them credit like they actually orchestrated this in a way that they truly understood all the impacts and what it was really going to do. For the Republican Party, this was a small win to be like, parents, look what we're doing. We're making sure that your third grader doesn't hear things about sex. They don't really understand what the hell was written in there because it came from the Heritage Foundation that did all of this research, found all of these things and said, you know what? We don't want to talk about same sex. Here's an easy way to pass it. No legislator actually understands what the hell they just passed. See,
2: you're looking at it like we're giving them too much credit, and quite frankly, I think you're giving them the excuse and the out. Like, no, I, it's not like an excuse
1: like, or an out that shows that they suck at legislating and they're not meant to run government.
2: I, will. if they don't
1: understand what they're passing, why are you in that place? That's I mean, my that's argument. The thing I is you're saying agree.
2: they don't understand it, I'm yes, saying so they 100% them. understand it, and that it's intentional because the point they are. They are saying they are protecting, they are attacking LGBTQ plus families and kids in the state under the guise of protecting parents' rights and protecting students from, from subjects they think are inappropriate. All while every Disney movie that we watch has, you know, heterosexual couples. Everything, like, you know, like little boys and girls have little crushes on one another, and that's completely okay because it's heterosexual. The big question that I constantly pose in this scenario is, all of those traditionally heteronormative and heterosexual related uh, norms in our society about boys and girls and crushes, et cetera. Right. Like those are fine. Those aren't anything inappropriate, but if it's gay people, it's all of a sudden vulgar. It's all of a sudden inappropriate because it's involving two men or two women or transgender people. Right. Like that's, that is the issue. I mean, overall with this is that it's, it creates a double standard and it it flies in the face of reality. It also, in my opinion, and I, and quite frankly, get maybe I am giving them too much credit, but there is a honest effort in this country by the Republican Party, and here's the thing: they are a lot more intentional than we think. It's why we've seen a very they, well we watched a 15 year process of them trying to gain power in state legislatures so that they could have this kind of leverage when it when it was necessary. I think they are a lot more planned meticulously than we than we often think, and that. They don't always know the full outcome, but I don't think that they're doing this on a whim. They have had a long, a long uh, held belief, or rather agenda, of maligning and marginalizing LGBTQ plus people in this country. They want to continue the norm of we don't talk about gay things. People, gay people, shouldn't feel comfortable. They shouldn't. They shouldn't feel like they couldn't come out at school. Like they want to make people, like gay people, LGBTQ plus people, feel like second class citizens in their country.
0: Well, I was just going to say, first of all, this is fucking disgusting, as I think I probably mentioned last week, too. But I mean, it's purposely written vague, vaguely so that a teacher who might be gay and have a partner that is of the same sex or whatnot, can't even talk about that in the classroom without feeling pressure. Mm -hmm. Like it's written vaguely on purpose to make it worse. And to me, the Republican Party, when I look at it from their perspective, with this whole conversation about intentionality and what they know and what they don't, blah, blah, blah. They had a choice a long time ago, either meet the country where it's at and diversify its party or continue down the path of not doing that. And they chose not to. And now they are oppressing everybody who's not white.
1: I also push that back has on been that. their strategy. That's a misleading context. It's not... The party did try to become more diversified. Like, I might hate them. I might completely, totally, categorically hate them. What's an example of that? I mean, I was like,
2: you speak in such definitive language.
1: There was an attempt by the Conservative Party to make a change. And 2016 is a very important part because that's when that whole, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, what do they call the report? When you die. Autopsy. There we go. That's when the autopsy of the election of um, <laughs> 2012. Yeah, the election of 2012 came out for the GOP. And that was the main piece, right? They There was an autopsy done of what happened in that election, what the party needed to do to be more electable or more well liked in the general populace. And there was a shift. That's why you saw such a broad um, primary because that was the first time that the Republican party really tried to figure out, can we elect someone, a person of color, uh, Marco Rubio, if you will. Um, Unfortunately, that demographic did not prevail. And they saw a coalescing around a racist white man who went on to ruin the country over the last four years. Um, so like that is a okay. misleading statement to, to say that
0: that they've intentionally chose to go that path. Yes. I understand I don't that. think
1: it was intentional, but also I want to add into that piece that, um, to equate this party with the party of the O I still feel is inappropriate or isn't appropriate where that party was when they started taking over state legislatures versus where they are now are not the same. And I, I, Maybe I'm giving too much credit to the conservatives and y'all can bite my head off after I finish this, but they were a power hungry group, right? They, they recognized that if we can infiltrate and take over state legislators, we'll be able to draw our own districts. We'll be able to take on a majority, blah, 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 blah. A consequence of doing that is they created these echo chambers that they never realized were truly going to become the pains that they have been, it, seeing uh, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene as a part of that party in an elected space, and this is what I meant by we need to stop giving them credit like they really, truly understand what they're doing. Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the dumbest people I think I've ever had to witness on television. She does not understand what she's passing. She's just doing performative things so she can get media press and then people feel like she's doing the right thing. If we start calling that out, if we really, truly stop playing into this whole the Republican Party is the complete and total Antichrist, and they have all these plans, and they're doing it. Blah, blah, blah. If we just call out, no, the Heritage Foundation writes a bunch of legislation, gives it to a couple of lobbyists, and says, "Here, see what state takes it." That's why a bill passed in Idaho that then got brought up in Florida and still had Idaho in it. These, that party is not a party of education or thought; it's a party of do as you're told. And if we start attacking it at its core, We can start really hitting at these are are atrocious bills that are being passed and talked about in backdoor rooms and given to uneducated, uncivilized dumbasses who we've allowed to be elected because we don't challenge them anymore. The Democratic Party doesn't want to challenge them because we've given up on this idea that you need to be smart to be in your legislator. That's what I'm getting at at the crux of this. I really genuinely do not think that most of the legislators who voted in lockstep with the Republican Party in Florida truly read the bill and know everything that's happening. There's a couple. Leadership knows what's going to come from this. They just know that they're not going to get shit for it because they're still going to get put into a leadership position by allowing their people to walk around and say, I gave parents choice. Those are the pieces that we need to start being more intentional at hitting them on because we're going to just keep running into this path for the remainder of our time if we keep letting uneducated people just do as they please.
2: But I think that's like, there's a lot to unpack there, <laughs> <was> like, but <laughs> there, there just is, there just is. Yeah, like, no, I want to touch, like, touch on like a few different pieces if I can keep them in my head straight. One is that well, no, we're not talking like every single Republican member of the Florida state legislature has some sort of like, I'm in on this grand GOP plan, right? To to you're right, like that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you also like saying, Oh, these uneducated people, yeah, Margie Taylor Green, etc. Some of these people have come up lately. But a lot of the leaders of the Republican Party are Ivy League graduates, are very educated, elite people in this country who continue to Act like that's not where they come from. That's not the education that they've had, and then it's not the lifestyle that they lead. Now, am I saying that they have had some surgical plan on some of this stuff? No. But what I said, what I mentioned earlier about their absolute agenda of continuing to marginalize and keep LGBTQ people, LGBTQ plus people out of the mainstream as much as possible, and doing so by writing discriminatory laws—that is, I believe, one hundred percent intentional and is very consistent across their party line. Since the early 2000s. And I I don't think that it's fair to say that, that like that they're happening on this stumbling upon these actions at all.
1: Yeah. But I also think context again, that's being taken out of there. Joe Biden was the first elected official in US history to say love is love. That wasn't until 2011, 12, somewhere in that range. no. It was before it was just before the election, so probably it was a, before
2: 2012's election but yeah, you
1: know, so it was probably like ten eleven the democratic party, granted they weren't in a large majority at this point, did also vote to support george bush's don't ask don 't tell policy in the federal government, which is very similar to what we're we're talking about, the crux of it here um while I appreciate that the party recognized that the country was shifting, these are the pieces that i'm saying it. If we keep allowing for an electorate that is not educated on these issues, that does not understand their legislative process, that thinks having these performative moments are what matters, you're going to keep getting these type of officials. What changed for the Democratic Party? They got organizers. They had people who actually truly understood and recognized that they were being attacked and they pushed the party to want to have conversations around um, LGBTQIA rights. They push the party to recognize if you're really going to be the one that has the first black president, you need to start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We can't keep allowing the conservative party to be the scapegoat for the worst amongst us. We can't keep allowing this, this view or this understanding like, oh yeah, they pass a really shitty bill and we're mad about it. I'm swearing a lot in this pot. That's new. Um, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like there needs to be a more intentional challenge and a more, uh, educated electorate to just stop falling for these performative things. And while I appreciate us having this conversation, it also needs to be called out in the black and white like that of, yes, what happens to that child who has a parent, um, who has parents who are of the same sex? Can they finish an assignment? No, under this law, they genuinely cannot. So what does that mean for their education? If the Republicans are going to argue about learning loss after COVID-19, what is learning loss under this policy? How do we start having a more intentional, strategic, um, political conversation that doesn't just get frustrated by what's happening? You should. And it's an emotional thing. And maybe this is too unemotional for me to say. But those are the pieces that frustrate me when we start having these conversations about the Republican Party actively um, discriminating against and refusing trans individuals the right to um, sex Sex change or sex orientation surgery, um, conversations around voting, all of these pieces, we get so stuck in the, the philosophical side of it that we miss the opportunity to just really hit them on the head of, okay, you passed this. Now here's where we're at. Now let's have a more intentional political conversation and educate the electorate. So when we come to that election in a couple of more months, You have to answer to that. You're not just playing up this. Oh, yeah. Parents have a right in their children's education now.
0: I do want to just talk about the irony with these kind of bills. Yeah. Because, you know, Republicans are the ones that are like the federal government. The government shouldn't affect the lives of parents or make decisions for parents in schools or whatnot. And then they pass shit like this and ban books and blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. Um, That party has long died.
0: Yeah. To your point about not using the GOP as a scapegoat, I don't know if I agree with that, though, because the GOP is the leaders of this movement now.
2: The and vast not a majority scapegoat. Of them Accountability isn't scapegoating. Do we need to be more intentional? You're strategic, what you're talking about. But what do you want me to come up here and say? That it wasn't a completely Republican-led bill that got passed in a completely Republican-led legislature, and that there was a complete Democratic opposition to it? like? Who do like? Who do I talk about? Who led the bill? I mean, the
1: Heritage the, Foundation. I, I like,
2: like, it like, might be them, but there's people. But smart it might be them. But if you think is. that talking about the the people they elected isn't going to get their attention, you think talking about some obscure ass Heritage Foundation is going to get someone to like want to hold their elected official accountable? I think you're making a a a bad political calculus there. Let's
1: have a conversation about the 2020 election and how the conservative party took a attempt to discredit and and really truly end um, Biden's election by promoting this idea that someone else was making decisions. We just had a spokesperson. We need to be more thoughtful. And there's a insurrection that happened because people genuinely thought that this individual was going to be a scapegoat to pass all of these left leaning policies that he never publicly publicly supported because we've allowed for an electorate that doesn't that isn't educated on its issues. We need to be more thoughtful of those pieces. We need to be more thoughtful of calling out not just the legislators and being mad at Florida, but recognizing that that bill is more than likely going to show up in Texas, North Carolina, and Idaho within the next three and a half months. How does it translate that quickly? Because there's a foundation that is bankrolling lobbyists to allow for these policies to happen. We need to be And this is being brought up in the international fold a little bit. We need to be strategic, like the sanctions that are being used against Russia and go at the crux of what is harming democracy, not just these performative figures that we feel like and are angry towards. You can be frustrated all you want at that point. But once they leave, the Heritage Foundation will ensure that another group of them are elected, not because they're smart, not because they're educated, but because they're yes-men. I think you can do both. I don't Again, think this where is where we end or situation. up being,
2: and that is what I was going to say. I was like, I don't want to like keep dragging out the conversation, but that's the thing that I take, it like I don't want to say take issue with, because I'm not taking issue with what you're saying. It's not even that I disagree with some of the points you're making. It's that you approach the conversation saying what you're saying is correct, and what we're like saying is incorrect, and it's like, no. actually, I'm pretty sure it's both. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure still right. It's, I'm actually not pretty uh-huh. sure. It has to be both, right? Because we do have to talk about the specific issues that we need to target in order to bust open this kind of ideology in the, in the Republican Party and how they're taking that and changing our laws based on it. But also Democrats, gay people, people who are dealing with the, uh, with the impact of that, they need to hear that we hear their life issues, that we hear their, like, how they're being represented, the pride of their own personal identity. Like, I, it has to be both.
1: Absolutely. And I, I apologize because I know my tone can give off that, but by no means am I saying you all are wrong. I, I think I'm arguing more to a frustration of seeing how democracy has decayed in this country over the last several years. Even just Um, information. Yeah. How to receive it. And a frustration that we aren't there. But as I alluded to, a quick look at our international fold. Um, For most of our listeners, I'm sure watching news outlets and and being on Twitter and social media have been incredibly rough as the war in Ukraine continues to... um, take over airways and be just the critical story in international news. Um, We at Dangerous Likely will always keep you all updated. Be sure to check our social media to identify nonprofits and other organizations to support um, efforts to support the people of Ukraine. But just some quick highlights, um, very similar to what was mentioned out of Caleb's Above the Fold, the U.S. and the U.K., have announced, um, sanctions and import embargoes on Russia, Russia oil. Um, let's see, McDonald's, Starbucks, Pepsi's currently exploring their options. Major industries are starting to look at how they can pull and limit their, um, services, services. Thank you. Their services (laughs) in Russia And we are really, truly seeing the depths in which the Iron Curtain is starting to close around this country to cut them out of the international community. Turkey has joined the fight in supporting Ukraine. Um, China's even reluctantly starting to get on board as it's looking at different businesses within its country that may be aiding and abetting Russia, um, threatening potential sanctions for them or other types of issues. And with that, we'll be right back. We see unity among the people who are gathering in cities and large crowds around the world, even in Russia, to demonstrate their support for the people of Ukraine. In the battle between democracy and autocracies, democracies are rising to the moment, and the world is clearly choosing the side of peace and security. And we're back. So I'm not sure if you guys saw, but Politico just released an article following President Biden's um, State of the Union address that noticed his poll numbers are starting to take a little bit of a bounce. Um, A poll released as recently as Tuesday found that 45% of registered voters surveyed approved of his job right now, which is up four points over the past week. Um, But still 51% are disapproving of him. All of these pieces, I really thought it would be a great opportunity for us to kind of dive into the crux of the State of the Union, especially knowing that... um, the intentionality behind this moment for the president was to set out a domestic agenda to really come up with and unite the country. And overnight, that was shifted because of um, Russia's aggression against Ukraine and their inevitable invasion. Um, So I know we've all kind of read it. I know we were live tweeting a little bit. I also am interested to get into the GOP response. But I kind of want to just start out um from a high level piece, like what were your first takes? Like how did you guys really think the State of the Union went? Caleb, go for it. Uh,
0: I actually thought it was pretty good, but I also think it was pretty straightforward. Um I felt like I heard a lot of like criticism that it was a laundry list of stuff, but like I kind of dismissed those criticisms to be honest, because the State of the Union is something that like yeah, there's kind of a structure to it and you you have to get a lot of stuff into one hour of a speech. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I, I thought that Biden delivered it really well. I thought it was powerful to have um, the Ukrainian ambassador to the US in the room and to highlight um, them. I thought it was, I, I thought when he went through his agenda and how he still wants to do all this stuff, I thought it, it made sense. And it kind of gave me, whether it's um, uh, realistic or not, it gave me a little bit of a renewed hope for the f- coming year, mm. especially with climate stuff.
1: Torrent, I... you look like you're pondering.
2: Yeah, I have I have a few thoughts, and I, I I'll start by saying in in reference to what you just said, honestly, like let's go ahead and say, sure, maybe it was a laundry list of things, but why is that? We have a lot of laundry to wash right now, okay? Like we <laughs> we are facing that right, like we, we just one one we just came off of a four year pre- a four year presidency that didn't do anything to address any of the actual issues in this country. Like let's be clear about that, right? We are continuing to face a climate a climate um, issue that we are not addressing to the to. Um, the breath and depth that is necessary. We have an education funding issue for, with with teachers. We're coming off of a pandemic. We have inflation because of both supply chain issues and now the Russian invasion of Ukraine, in which people need to understand that it doesn't matter about anything else. Any war in in the world, especially one between two powers as large as Russia and Ukraine, are going to have an impact on inflation. That's just a fact, regardless of the pandemic. So now you are compounding the imp- impacts of both of those two things um all while we just pass an infrastructure bill and we're trying to get it through while also advocating for human infrastructure like the child like childcare, care like um you know college education uh loan forgiveness etc like we are trying to address a lot of things and it can sound like a laundry list i would say fine use it as a metaphor that's because he's actually trying to address the issues on the table yeah. Period, oh, exactly. Right? Like that's that's a part of it. But I would say to the immediate question you asked, the thing that I am most excited about is that I really enjoyed watching him start from the top fighting for democracy. And I mean, fighting for democracy hard, right? Like, I think that that was a great move. I've been enlightened to watch both the world and despite, of course, like a handful of the, you know, GOP elected officials who who have been engaging in complete in utter nonsense around Russia uh, since the invasion. It was nice to see most of the Republican Party at least be able to set aside their partisan differences for democracy. Because at the end of the day, if I mean, if that's all that fails, then that party is, I mean, further down the damn hole than I thought. Um, but th- he got into a lot. He had a lot to cover. They had to change the, the speech, you know, day, a day before, which is no writer like no writer is going to want to, you know. Oh God. Have That's to do that. Nightmare. The the you know, we listen to uh President Obama's former speechwriters over on the crooked media podcast, Pod Save America. And like even if you like watch, you know, political shows like West Wing, you know the State of the Union is like a month long writing process. Like this is Absolutely. not something that we whip up in a night, you know, before the final. Like this is a month long writing process that people don't understand takes approval from all like most of the other departments on language on policy and like it's it's a very you know difficult thing so all in all I thought for a 62 minute speech it was amazing
1: and important to add uh, just one thing to add um we can't like the president does have a speech impediment that impacts this a lot so not even a day before like I'm sure and again I'm making some assumptions here I'm sure he was walking around the oval practicing the speech, making sure his inflections were appropriate, making sure places were here. I know something I saw a lot through social media and other platforms were critiques of how he presented himself in this of, oh, there's old Joe again, because he's struggling with his words or this um, inconsistency between the speaker and the majority leader and the president of when to stand up and clap because he was trying to really feel out when to read. And I, I think you bring up such an important point there, Torrance of, a speech that he probably had practiced that he had and ready to go changed in the bleak of an eye. And it's important to recognize, especially for individuals who have speech impediments across the country, that is a quick turnaround. And he did a phenomenal job to live up to that moment and carry the same kind of gumption and, and inflection that was needed for the moment. Speaking about democracy, speaking about immigration, um, being a president to actively call out and say that trans lives matter, all of these pieces, um, I just like, I do think we discredit that one key part of him as a, a leader, but I cut you off, Caleb.
0: Oh, I was just going to say that like the state of the union is one of the most, it's, it's one of the only times that a president can like really get his message out. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with you, Torrance. I, I'm not criticizing for it being a laundry list. I think it should have been. Cause there's a lot of shit to get done. <laughs> and like, and like I, I, I think there was a little bit of opportunity to inject some more message in some of that, but I, I overall, I thought it was really good.
2: Yeah, I, and you know, I think like one of the things that we're seeing in reporting about it is that you know he the absence of Build Back Better, right, and kind of almost this rebrand um, to more a build a better America with kind of, with sort of the same um, the same policy agenda, which like of course because the policy agenda is not like a progressive wish list it's an agenda it's, it's an agenda that will actually address the issues that americans face like like no one's trying to like just grant child care you know like subsidies to people because like it's fun like there's a child care crisis in this country that is keeping people from working right we have a worker shortage still which is affecting inflation like all of these things are, are a confluence of factors on other parts of our of our society and our government and like you said earlier right like we've got an electorate <laughs> that sometimes doesn't know a fork from a spoon, like you know like they just don't pay attention and like now he agrees like, with me <laughs> well, I mean like we do I mean like I can do it's a strong feeling you know I have about like you know the lack of our our of our electorate to engage and do their own research you know to form their own opinions um but I wanted to speak to the thing that you've met that you meant that you referenced or mentioned about his uh, speech impediment because I want to talk about how. Symbols and of the presidency are important, especially for young people who are sitting on the on the floor of their living room, you know, like while their parents are watching this day of the even like what is the message they hear from their president, from the commander in chief? You know, like that does matter. And I, I wanted to bring this up because I had a friend who just recently said that said to me, Well, I don't really I'm not really experiencing any difference in my life. Like it doesn't really affect impact me the last president to this president or I don't want to say impact I don't know if that's other words but I I can't there's no difference in my life between the last president and this one and, and it was really frustrating for me because yeah we've had a lot, a lot of difficulties with his legislative agenda that would actually have I think a profound impact despite people wanting to forget about saving the economy about continuing to put their loans on on hold to you know our um you know the the stimulus checks that we received last year. Like we are so quick to just forget about the work that has been done. And I've talked about that on the pod before. But I wanted to say to, to the point about the symbolism and him having a speech impediment and the kid in his campaign who obviously saw a a uh, role model in in Joe and gave him the motivation and the confidence to pursue things he didn't think he could, that for people who are people of color, people who are gay, people who are indigenous, um, people who belong to marginalized communities in this country, who have been, who have been experiencing an onslaught of assaults on our humanity on our identity from different levels of government whether that's just culture wars or actual legislation like we referenced earlier in the pod about the don't say gay bill that it does make a difference for me that the person who is standing at that podium the, the person who is sitting in the oval office is someone who if nothing else is saying my life matters is saying that there's space for me in this country that i am loved that i that i am you know should be cared for young trans kids young people of color like it does make a difference versus the last guy who thought there were, you know, that they were people, like, good people on both sides of a Nazi rally, right? Like, like, that does make a difference in my life. And quite frankly, I want to say pointedly, if you can say the statement that I reference, then you are living under some privilege, because if you're not impacted by it, then I don't know what to say, but it is frustrating, right? Because there are big and small problems. But sometimes the small stuff freaking matters.
1: And I want to get into the crooks of the speech, specifically leaning off of that. And Torrance, you're highlighting of democracy, right? Democracy is important when the people feel that they're being represented, when they feel that their voices are mattering. And this is a president who is stepping into a moment where American democracy has been challenged and now global democracy has been challenged. And it, he really took a lot of the beginning of his speech to hit on geopolitics. I mean, there's a direct, a direct quote where he highlights, we spent months building a coalition of other freedom-loving nations from Europe and the Americas to Asia and Africa to confront Putin. He really lived up to the moment and really kind of capitalized and seized all that's happening in Ukraine. And uh, while we might not, at dangerously likely, love to give a lot of airtime to the orange man, he had to rebuild a lot from NATO to the international stage. I I guess... uh, again, a a more lofty question, but um, this was the part that Caleb saw more than me and had to watch highlights. Do you feel that he lived up to that moment? Do you feel like he was able to really, truly encapsulate what democracy is and and kind of take that shift now that we're one year after January 6th, now that we're seeing this international assault on democracy? um, Did the speech live up to the moment that it needed to?
2: I don't, I mean, I do think so, yes, but it goes to that, like, are people listening, right? Like, are people actually hearing what's being said? Because one of the things, like, I think great benefits as far as democracy goes about this Russia-Ukraine thing is, like, one, yeah, the rallying. Um, democracies of the world rallying around Ukraine. But also I think it's kind of interesting for Republicans to see the reality of Russians who don't actually know a war is going on, don't believe it, seeing the full impact of the authoritarian and, uh, regime that also has a very well-oiled disinformation machine in their country where people literally do not believe that there is a war going on in Ukraine. And I was watching um, on CBS this morning um, that there was a Ukrainian woman who was texting her brother, her brother in Russia, sending him pictures, and he said, there's no war, what are you talking about? Like, this is fake. To his sister, who's live in the middle of the war in Ukraine. Like, it's just, so I think it's a valuable thing for, uh, like, because of the decay of our um, media, you know, trust in media and trust in, in fact and, and this disinformation and misinformation in America, that it's nice to see, like, what that could turn out to be if you keep, you know, poking the bear. So,
0: it it's interesting that, like, I think when you asked how many like how many people are actually listening, so the people who the amount of people that watched the speech was around watched the speech was around thirty eight million people <laughs> um which is is a sizable amount but still a fraction of the actual electorate yeah um so that's kind of the impact it has, but then again it is it is played on a lot of different news sites and media and social media and whatnot so i, I I'm sure many more saw at least clips of it or or uh at least scrolling through has seen it happen. <laughs> Me included. <laughs> I I I think I think yes. Um to to how he presented democracy and whatnot. Like I think the beginning of the speech, he gave more time to it than I think I believe was originally supposed to happen from reports and whatnot. And I mean, we're living in a moment right now where more Americans than normal are watching what's going on because there's a quite literally a war going on in Europe, the likes of which we haven't seen since World War II, um, in Europe specifically. Mm-hmm. I, I I think he did. I mean, I think he could speak more on it. I think he could dedicate an entire speech on it. Of course, the State of the Union only allows for, for some time here and some time there for a lot of lots of things. So he has to delegate wisely, but... But putting I think that was the biggest part of the speech and making it the biggest part of the speech, I think does hammer home that message and that point about how important democracy is in upholding it and protecting it.
1: Yeah. And I also think that it was a thoughtful piece for the president right of by capitalizing democracy, by setting this tone and setting this message that government can work, um, he can then begin to lay out an agenda and and really start setting Not only that laundry list that you all mentioned of um, uh, highlighting the need for dreamers to have access to citizenship by highlighting that the most fundamental right in America, the right to vote is currently under attack. He was able to pull out and say, here's what democracy looks like when it is um, under attack, when it is crumbling, when it is falling but this president was able to use that juxtaposition to say America has always been one to rally back. You should never bet against America. I know he said that several times. And then he was able to hit on this tone of bipartisanship and and bring out this unity agenda, if you will. That's what they called it, at least. Um, by highlighting all the successes his administration has had, all the abilities that Congress has been able to come together to pass bipartisan bills, which if you turn on news lately, it doesn't seem like that exists. Um, starting with, um, preventing the government from going into shutdowns, talking about protecting Asian Americans, um, being more thoughtful of hate crimes. They just passed the anti-lynching bill out of the Senate that passed both with unanimous support in that, well, almost unanimous support in the house and near unanimous support in the Senate. Um, He's also preparing to sign the Violence Against Women's Act. So the president was able to kind of put a pep in his step by having this juxtaposition and offer this unity agenda to the nation that had four big um, principles focusing on the opioid crisis, mental health, veterans and cancer research, which we know has always been core to this president, both when he was vice president under Obama, um, but also because he lost his son to cancer. You all highlighted the laundry list, a lot of, a lot of dirt that we all have to to wash in this country. <laughs> Is this unit? I know these are things that the administration feels they can get past the Senate, but do you think that there's things missing from the unity agenda? Do you do you feel that this was the right uh, plan to lay out after? uh what we've all kind of deemed as a successful state of the union
0: i mean the answer i think is yes in terms of leaving stuff out to Mm -hmm. try to pass bipartisanship like i don't know the rest of his agenda
2: (laughs) right like that's no no caleb that's i i'm happy that's what you just said because it's what i was getting ready to say i was like you know I could say, well, yeah, we could add to that unity agenda because I'm still struggling to understand what is not unifying about fixing the childcare crisis, about the economic crisis facing our, our generation because of student loans. Like, I, I actually don't know what's not unifying about that because I, both of those issues, I know plenty of Republicans and Democrats who face them. So I, I actually, like, I know we just had this conversation about we can't just make the Republicans a scapegoat. But the thing is, uh, obviously aside from mansion who i ain't getting into it right now <laughs> <laughs> but like you said we have to hold them accountable in this. like 50 senators completely in opposition to any of those things while we know that there is bipartisan support from american people so like i don't know what's not unifying about those and i know that he probably i know joe wanted to say that he knows that these have overwhelming bipartisan support and you know jen saki has said it over up at the podium many a time. so like yeah i It frustrates me because, like, if things were just as simple as they should be, these are these are these are bills that will address problems that exist. There's overwhelming bipartisan support from Americans, but they don't get passed because of politics. Yeah, yeah, there's a unity problem for sure, and it's the Republican Party.
0: I I, I do think that the point of this message with the unity agenda is that look, America, like, I have been able to do this with the other side. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a change from what you have seen over the last several years of obstructionist agendas and saying no all the time and nobody working together. Like, I think that is part of the appeal of Joe Biden because it's hard to imagine that happens with anybody else.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, But uh, I want to touch on something about the veterans act as far as um, expanding coverage. And like I, I hear myself. Okay. I want to, I want to say that to the listener. I do hear myself guys. And I know, God I God I do know sometimes when you harp on it too long it does feel like we're using this party as a scapegoat but like I also believe in a deep sense of accountability for people who are running for these for running for elected office and literally make decisions that fly in the face of their constituents like nothing bothers me because that's at the core of representative democracy right um that that bill that he's referring to the Honor Our Pact Act that is that gives uh, covers more cancer for veterans because of the burn sites do you know? Yeah, it passed with bipartisan support, but a hundred and seventy four Republicans voted against it. The 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 party of soldiers and American troops of American military, hundred and seventy four about a bill that not not an omnibus, not something that is layered with something else, a literal single bill that just adds those those cancers to the list of things that are covered by the V.A. And one hundred and seventy four. So, yes, guys, there is a freaking issue with our problems getting addressed because we have dishonest leadership in some of our parties that are not voting good conscious and not in good faith.
1: I actually appreciate you bringing that because uh, I think to start to close this out, one of the questions that you all kind of triggered for me is, is this an agenda that wins for the Democrats come November? Uh, Because we can't pretend that not only is the specter of COVID, Um, lingering in the speech. I mean, the president highlighted it multiple times, but also the specter of a midterm election that can have extenuating ramifications on this idea of unity, of bipartisanship. Um, I mean, the minority leader of the House has already come out and said that there are going to be nonstop investigations of the Biden administration, Hillary Clinton, Obama, all of the things that they can think to distract and, and really just ruin this administration if they were to get elected um come this fall so does this unity agenda provide what is needed for the democrats moving forward is it is it an opportunity for the democrats to show that they know how to govern because that's been an argument that's been used against them several times over a multitude of administrations or is the president kind of setting himself up for a a unsuccessful or onslaught if you will come november that's a question
0: uh i'm (laughs) just gonna answer it by just saying that i think that's the beginning of what the message can look like Hmm. and i do think that the person who has been the best at giving us that message has been joe biden himself and if and we need to see more of him leading up to the midterms i think personally
2: yeah, I do think it's become inc- like incredibly clear that as far as bipartisan appeal, he is the messenger. Like, I mean, it's the only thing that we've seen our polling numbers change is when he gets up and says the things that everyone else has been saying, <laughs> like, like, right, like his administration, other fellow Democrats in Congress are saying all of these things, but apparently like it doesn't seep through or it becomes off far too partisan if not um, the president of the United States. And to your question I like was like kind of sitting here on it and I was like, I, I, I I want to say, I don't know because that's right. Like, like, and not even in like a, like, ex, like in, in in a concerned way and not in an exasperated way. Like, and what I mean by that is on paper, like the democratic party, like we know this is doing the things that Americans want in a far, in a much larger way than the Republican party. That's a fact. Like, the polling shows it, the work shows it, the kind of the bills they're introducing and trying to pass shows it right. But they don't get the credit. We are living in a culture war politics. We are living they like our Republican Party is full of disinformation and lives in a disinformation ecosystem with Fox News. That, you know, like literally I like I was watching Fox News for some of the coverage of Ukraine. And I don't know that if you guys are watching the coverage of like a three day difference between Tucker Carlson having an entire spiel about why should I hate Russia. Why should I hate Putin? He never called me a racist, all these things. And then three days later, showing a clip that covered his coverage of it on CNN, saying, why would they say this? Like, as if his listeners were not there three days prior watching him say it. And then he said to them, that's, I didn't say that. Like, like I don't know. Like, that's not reality. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do about that because it's not reality. And it's deeply frustrating. Um, but to the to the to the message, I know that we wanted to touch on it for a bit, which was the Republican rebuttal that was delivered by Iowa Governor um, Kim Reynolds, who, you know, I think that there's a really interesting duality based on the conversation we've had between what, uh, Governor Reynolds said in her Republican rebuttal and then the response to the State of the Union from the progressive Rashida Tlaib. And it's very interesting because they talked about, you know, as far as foreign policy goes, I want to touch on this in reference to Ukraine and, and the Republican Party's, you know, positioning on it. She said, quote, weakness on the world stage has a cost and the president's approach to foreign policy has consistently been too little too late. And what I want to say to that is you see the NATO unity. You see the quick action. You see the unification of our other democracies in the world to fight Russia's aggression towards Ukraine. NATO, the thing that Trump wanted to leave, almost left, and would have if not for the very hard uh, bargaining of his advisors. And if I
1: might add, Trump also touted this ability to get the countries from NATO to increase their defense spending and was never able to do it what president has been able to do that
2: uh-huh. yes president David. joe biden yes 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 has has nato members taking unprecedented action right now germany I, I mean you can't say enough about the actions of nato and the way that we have been able to unify in this moment and yes it's the it's the threat of russian aggression in, in europe yes i understand that but no one like, like you, you can't you can't Choose what happens to your administration and your presidency. Only how you respond. So you deserve the exact credit. Who cares about what got them there? You bargained them into making those decisions and and you led them into those decisions, which I think he deserves the credit for. And then to the domestic policy, right, in the response from uh, Democrat Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, I love her, holla Michigan, Um, she said, the majority of the Build Back Better agenda is stalled, Mr. President, our work is unfinished. We are ready to jumpstart our work again. She went on to say, we campaigned on doing even more. Roads and bridges are critical, but so are childcare and prescription drugs, and we shouldn't have to choose. And the whole, and we shouldn't have to choose thing is everything we're saying right here, right? Like, we should not have to choose between safety, security, democracy, and the things that actually need to be done here at home to serve American people. But we have been constantly forced to choose. And I I am, I am done with that. How do we can, how do we build a campaign strategy and message going into November that speaks to that, right? Like, and mobilizes people to give us that power. We are in an uphill battle. We can't forget, obviously, all of these voter suppression bills that have passed across the country. We, and you know, it is departure. I, we, not purposely, but in some way, I'm ashamed of it, like didn't do enough coverage of what the the outcome of the um, primaries in Texas and the difficulties that people face there with voting because of their voter suppression law. And maybe we should get into that in a future episode before we get into the election season. But we've got an uphill battle. But you're right, we've got to have a good strategic pointed argument. And we've got to have the right messengers.
1: So on, based on y'all's opinion, what is the state of our union?
2: The State of the Union is strong because you, the American people, are strong.
1: And we're back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at likely or email us at dangerouslylikely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. Take us on a tangent, Caleb.
0: Mine is quick and simple today. That's a first. I'm just tired of social media. But like specifically what I'm tired of is like anytime that there's like a tweet that's political or even current news focused or whatnot. It's like even if that person made a mistake... Um, Everybody just like, instead of saying like, instead of having a debate or saying like, hey, look, like you got this wrong. It's like very mean and targeted and pointed and just overall a, not a fun environment to be in. That's it. It's every social media. It that sucks.
2: That's fair.
0: Take us on a tangent, Torrance.
2: Yeah, mine is um just like, little, I mean, both like a little personal, but also I would say more positive. I don't know. I mean, I heard me talk about it obscurely, but like, you know, the listeners know that I'm, just been accepted to law school i'm going to law school in the fall also they know that like i am an actor and that i you know just doing a play currently um and like those are the two loves of my life right like obviously you know how much i you know love civic engagement and politics from my time on the podcast but like singing dancing acting is my number one love i write it's what i wish i could do if it wasn't such a like you know a hard career to get into um and I always thought that like, I really had to choose one or the other that like, if I ever pursued acting like that, that kind of disqualified me from being a, a quality candidate for public office one day, which is something that I aspire to. And like, it's just interesting and it means like almost nothing to anyone else. But I would say that I think, especially after seeing, you know, having a a celebrity president and and Donald Trump and the catastrophe of that human altogether, um, that like that, it even kind of compounded the point that had been made before. But I would say, I'm really just excited because President Zelensky obviously was an actor, a comedian, um, and a very successful one in Ukraine. Uh, he actually played his previous role right before he had ran for president was playing the president of Ukraine and servant of the people, a TV show, um, and that he is not only that, but has has won an election to be you know the democratically elected president of Ukraine, but then has been a fierce fighter of their democracy of their country has not backed down has been incredibly qualified who has who has made all like has made very smart strategic moves uh, on behalf of this country and I just think that like it does speak a little bit to this notion that like just because you choose art or Creativity and acting, singing, entertainment as your career does not mean you don't possess other intelligences, other skills, other qualities that would make you a really great candidate. Because I love acting and I'm great at it, but also, as you guys can see, like I'm not an idiot, I have something to offer to the world, I have intelligence to offer to the world, and I just think that like it, it renewed in me, like you can have more than one thing in life, and what people see, you know. Uh, and people who are actors like that, they're just stupid and dumb and have nothing to offer that. Like, hopefully this shows that, like we are dynamic people and that we, um, you know, have a lot to offer to the world beyond just being a puppet saying lines. So I don't know, just a thought that I had that I was like, just really liked, uh, try. You want to take us on a tangent?
1: Um, yeah, I'm going to try to keep mine short and sweet. Um, so, as I think some of our listeners know, I used to work at a higher ed institution and I have since transitioned, but I'm still a part of a few Facebook groups that are in higher ed. Um, and uh, recently, someone posted about just starting a job at an institution. They are connected with a lot of Muslim Muslim led organizations. And they were so proud of themselves for designing this um, sticker that they were going to put on their door to say that they are a safe space for individuals who wear hijabs. Love it. Great. Um, I have a lot of issues with that specifically because I... I'm going to just be completely transparent. I'm recognizing as always the white females or white males that are the first ones and say, here's a sticker. Let people know that you're a safe space instead of just being known as a safe space. They feel that there's this extra performative performativeness that gives them a check mark It gives them a credit. And um, it took me until seeing it now being outside of higher ed, where you are kind of forced into this conformative space to really recognize like that was my issue. There's this um, pressure to have all these stickers and be this person and let everyone know you're a safe space, but not so much for students to turn around and be like, no, I really valued X professional because I could have this conversation. I know that they're a safe space because they they're going to advocate for me. And even beyond that, I think there's a check mark that comes out of that of, oh, I'm a safe space for students. But when I'm at the table at a conversation that's directly going to impact them and harm them. I'm not the first one to speak up. I'm not a safe space when they're not around. Um, so I just, I challenge a lot of Caucasian Americans, liberals specifically that are just performative and, and need to be called out and recognize that at the end of the day, your actions are performative and not necessarily for the benefit of everyone.
0: Well, I think that wraps up our show. I'm Caleb Smith.
2: I'm Torrance Witherspoon.
0: And I'm Terrell Couch. And we're Dangerously Likely to see you next week.